0: Hello and welcome to Conspiracy Games and Counter Games, season two of The Order of Unmanageable Risks, a podcast about capitalism and its anxieties. My name is Adam Kingsmith and I'm a PhD candidate in the Department of Politics at York University. And I'm Aris I'm an Associate Professor of Sociology at University College London. This season, our podcast is dedicated to going beyond the headlines and the easy answers and exploring the rise of conspiracies, conspiracy theories, and conspiratorial thinking in a gamified capitalist world. This episode features a conversation with acclaimed novelist, essayist, and podcaster Hari Kunzru. It was recorded on August 2nd as part of the Conspiracies and Counter Game Summer Institute, organized by this project and rival, the Reimagining Value Action Lab. We now turn it over to the Institute's host, Max Haven, Canada Research Chair in Culture, Media and Social Justice at Lakehead University. We have been speaking to a number of people over the last couple of weeks about these strange tangle of questions that have to do with the rise of conspiracies, conspiracy fantasies, and conspiracy uh, thinking in our age, and it's uh, in some ways led up to a conversation I've been looking forward to a great deal with Harry about uh, his latest book, which came out last year, uh, Red Pill, and also has a very nice audiobook version, which you narrate yourself. So, Harry, this is... uh, the only the latest in a long series of novels beginning with The Impressionist, Transmission, My Revolutions, Gods Without Men, and White Tears. Um, And his work has been translated into over 20 languages. Uh, He began as a journalist, and uh, now his stories and articles appear in publications, including The New York Times, The Guardian, and The New Yorker, uh, were in fact part of this novel appeared uh, as well a a few months before it was published and has recently joined uh, Harper's Magazine as uh, a columnist
1: for their Easy Chair section, writing every other month, am I correct? That's
0: uh, including right. about conspiracies and conspiracy fantasies.
1: Yeah, that, that's one that's worth flagging to to this audience, I think, that the, yeah, the first column I wrote was about Q and conspiracy and the kind of long, the deep history of conspiracy thinking. Fabulous.
0: Um, and you're also the uh, podcaster behind Into the Zone, Mm. Uh, which is a show about opposites and how borders are never as clear as we think, which just had its first season about a year ago.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We made eight shows, each one about a different opposition and, and maybe actually also, yeah, some of the content in that would be, would be relevant to, to to this, uh, this conversation. You know, I mean, I am very interested in in connections and connectivity and how far proliferating connections uh, go. And we, you know, that was one of the sort of things that we're, I was very interested in exploring in those uh, podcasts.
0: Mm-hmm. It seems to be a common theme even in in your novels as well. They all do a kind of phenomenal work, I think, of of showing us how deeply entangled things we don't think are, are as of an, of, as entangled are in some ways in each of their...
1: I mean, there's a sort of mode I would call, I don't know, you could call it the informational sublime. I mean, the, 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 the example I always come back to is the end of... Uh, uh, the first Indiana Jones movie where they found you know the most precious thing the the Ark of the Covenant and it's you know this object of great importance and power and you see it being taken away and crated up and then uh, and then uh, moved off into a warehouse and the, uh, um, I mean I think it's a CGI shot or as an artist rather than any any kind of real thing. but anyway this this the shot gets wider and wider and wider and you see this crate going down the aisle and there are millions of crates just like it thousands of crates and this kind of the vastness of this this kind of repository becomes evident and you know in this you know this thing is obviously going to get lost there and all the the knowledge and power that it it, it uh, represents is going to get lost and that that kind of, of feeling seems to be so important to conspiracy thinking the idea that if you're (laughs) searching through the forest of signs the, the 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 world of connections all the millions of boxes that there are to look in that you will you know one day you will find the the one that's the kind of key to all mythologies that will be the the answer to everything
0: yeah indeed indeed uh, we've been talking in this institute in the class around which it's based quite a bit about how conspiracy theories offer this kind of like
1: master key, the decoder to to kind of put together all moments of esoteric. I was going to say, it's, it's that it's that kind of artificial simplification that makes them so seductive and and, and, and so wrong headed, basically, the, the, the idea that, you know, if you you know you 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 do your work of uncovering you do your your research and then you discover that actually the whole thing is just six dudes in a in a boardroom somewhere in switzerland and if you you know if you would bust down the door and and take them out then everything would be fine again and there would be no pedophilia and there would be you know there would be you know truth and and happiness and light would would rain over and and that's such a sort of it's such a, it's such a human impulse to hope that the answer is human scale, and it's a and it's a and it's a, such a sort of um it's a sort of it's it's a it's a kind of collapse of of uh, in the face of the vastness and the complexity of the actual world that we we inhabit.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, this brings me to the quest. The first question I was going to ask you, in fact, about the novel, Red Pill, which came out last year. Um, and as the title already indicates, has something to do with the rise of the far right and the kind of paranoid conspiracist thinking that uh, animates our age. And just for those who haven't had a chance to read it, uh, without wanting to spoil it too much, it, it concerns a writer who is not not unlike you, from New York City, was born in the UK, from mixed uh, mixed race background, has a young family, is a writer. Uh, who travels to Wannsee, the the suburb outside of Berlin, where famously the Nazis met to concoct the final solution, Um, and goes on a writing retreat there at a strange center called the Deuter Center, which is sort of uh, endowed by this uh, West German philanthropist. And in the course of uh, his writing retreat at that center, where he's kind of forced into more or less uh horrifying um interactions with the other writers there including one whom we'll talk about a little bit later i hope edgar um he begins to a descent into a kind of paranoia uh which throughout the novel we're never sure is if it's a, if it's a kind of clinical paranoia or um sociological paranoia on some level uh and in the course of the novel he makes the acquaintance of a kind of far right media mastermind um, but before we get to maybe some of those characters and nuances, I wanted to begin just by asking why work with a narrator who in some ways is very similar to yourself?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I it's part of a, a larger project. There are three books, two, two which are out and then one which I'm working on now, each of which has a, at its centre a different art form. I mean, there was a book about music called White Tears, and this was a book about about text and interpretation it's about writing but it's a bit it's about the interpretation of writing this writer is a non-fiction writer he's um somebody who who has a kind of rather floating amorphous range of interests and and his you know his talent is an interpretative talent i think rather than a maybe a creative talent he's not somebody who's you know who's trying to write poetry he's some somebody who is trying to uh, who was a scholar among other things of, of of German romantic poetry and so then you know I mean you, I mean actually there's a sort of sequence of of, of of kind of decisions I had to take which led me to this position of making him very close to my own biography I mean I mean race is is, is one thing I mean did I want did I I mean I almost on kind of principle i I decided that why not just center somebody who who uh, isn't white? Who is mixed race, and 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 see what that brings up, especially in the context of Germany. Mm. I mean, I I should say, you know, it does. I mean, it's it's actually kind of in a way, weirdly, it's less tricksy than it seems. Uh, I and mean, it, it's it was a sort of, I it, it, it seemed it seemed you know I wanted this guy guy to have a conflict between kind of trying to be a good member of his family, trying to be a good father to a good a good partner. And yet being consumed by this sense of, 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 of a kind of apocalyptic situation that was afoot in the world and very consumed by his own attempts to interpret that. His, so he, he makes this descent, which I think you're right in saying is very ambiguous between whether it's an actually sort of a straightforwardly psychological breakdown or whether he has actually tuned into something larger in the culture. I mean, and those things aren't really, you know, mutually exclusive, um but he is all the time in this book trying to get back to get back home in a in a in a sort of literal and, and metaphorical way and and so all the I mean all this led me to kind of using a lot of my own background and biography and the book also did come out of a six-month stint I had in Berlin at the American Academy there and you know I used there geographical location and and then put a completely different institution in them mean the institution in the in the novel has nothing to do with them as I've maybe been at pains to, to <laughs> point out <laughs> but they weren't spying on you or you know. yeah no they, they never they never spied on me my my colleagues there were were charming and delightful people and uh but the, i mean the, i mean germany is very important to the texture of the book part and 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 my particular experience of germany is important because i was there the year that they welcomed many hundreds of thousands of syrian largely syrian but also kind of afghan and, and other refugees and it was a huge a logistical thing that was happening i mean you were aware that they were trying to find accommodation for a huge influx of people i mean in literally in gymnasiums in spare accommodation and i was in this very sleepy suburb there were a lot of people who were who were being hosted in in former uh, accommodation that i think was to do with the hospital yeah. and uh and so I would be on a bus in the morning, taking my kid to the preschool and and there would be a lot of refugees on the bus as well. And in many interactions in this place, I would be mistaken for a refugee and that would go one of two ways. Either people would be very exaggeratedly friendly and very welcoming or very hostile. And so that ambiguity was very interesting to me as a, as a mm. and that was very particular to my experience. That was another reason to kind mm. of make this character close to me
0: when I read the novel for the first time I I mistook it I in fact listened to it while I was walking and I mistook the beginning of the novel for a prologue from you the author until until a few chapters in, I'm like wait actually this is this is the real thing (laughs) Um, but one of the things that it made me think then and I wanted to ask you is like in some way it felt to me like this novel was a thought experiment about you know the, the novel ends with this kind of um, climactic moment of Donald Trump getting elected in 2016 and the kind of utter um, ruin of the kind of epistemological world of the family at the core. You know, the the narrator's wife is a prominent lawyer and fundraiser for the Democratic Party. And I wondered if to some extent the novel explored the question about how somebody who, I mean, not that your your narrator is in any way you, but like, it made me think about if, what it would mean to explore how someone like you uh, could fall prey to the kinds of paranoia um, that was kind of circulating at that time and that we recognized after the fact had been sort of, and the kind of conspiratorial maneuvering that had been key to the upset election in 2016. Am I totally off base with
1: that? No, no, I think you're, you're very, very much much on base. I mean, I, I think in some ways it's a book about what people call the Overton window, mm. about the, the the window of acceptable or reasonable discourse. And certainly in the years prior to Trump, there was a kind of grown up sensible commentator point of view that certain things were just not possible. And among those would be the election of a candidate like Trump. Um, right. But there was an increasing kind of disjuncture between what was considered sort of reasonable and 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 pop and possible in sort of let's say a mainstream media discourse, and what appeared to be going on elsewhere online. And you know, and as we all know, I mean, more and more of us are living more and more of the time in online in very very different environments. There's le- you know, the idea of a kind of consensual reality is one of the things that's under threat. Um, And that's, I think, that's that's at the heart of what I wanted to explore. So what, you know, what is reasonable? I mean, and and who arbitrates what is reasonable? And one of the experiences that I think a lot of, um, let's say, kind of, you know, elite liberals had uh, with, with the kind of election of Trump and the campaign beforehand was that their their notion of what was plausible in the world was deeply upset and very kind of, so it's sort of shattered, really. But those of us who um, maybe were looking elsewhere for information as well, or kind of, you know, look, or had kind of cultural contacts elsewhere, uh, it was less of a surprise. I mean, there was a strange, you know, fusion between the kind of world of the chans, of, of 4chan and, and the kind of uh, various other, you know, zones around around that kind of that kind of bit of the internet and, and suddenly mainstream political discourse. I mean, who would have thought that of all the, of all the internet communities, it would be, you know, uh, poll. That would would uh, would manage to have such a kind of huge cultural influence, but so the so Trump was much more explicable if you had been spending too much time on bad bits of the internet as 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 I had been, and but and and I I had this experience of, of of being kind of very worried about what was coming down the pipe for some years before that because. I don't know so I mean we can talk about this in more detail later but I mean I've been I've just realized that I've now I mean I'm 51 and I've now been online for more of my life than not um, and even back in the early 90s when I first got an internet connection and it was still a very sort of marginal thing to do there was far right content and I was spending a certain amount of my time kind of checking it out because it was it was a sort of one of the things the early internet was was a window onto various subcultures that would have otherwise been inaccessible. Um, you know, who knew about bronies until and you know and 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 until you know they're they're there on the internet and you can go and check it out. It's like you know the work of five minutes and suddenly you're sort of deep into into that. And um, so I tracked for years and years. I just as in a sort of almost hobbyist way, I kind of tracked the tracked the kind of far right culture without very much you know thought about why i was doing it except as a sort of personal early warning system to try and kind of work out who was coming to get me so i mean i suppose there's there you are there's an element of paranoia there but i did you know i'd noticed from the early or there was this rise of this highly ironized very you know witty uh an extremely dark uh online culture that mutated from being you know just lords, in into people a subset of those people became actually committed to the ideas that they espoused because it pissed other people off um you know and so i mean so one of the things i wanted to try and talk about in the book was the way that feeling of 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 your personal weird reality suddenly going you know becoming the shared reality for for everybody um and you know being made to feel that you are paranoid or 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 your reaction is excessive or you're a marginal person that you are you know your concerns whatever they are 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 not the correct concerns of the sort of dominant people um and so yeah that and just that experience of uh of, of everything being feeling connected uh, you know and of, of uh, I mean the, you brought up Anton the the kind of media figure in the in the book and he's somebody who may or may not be almost in control of a, a troll farm or kind of like a, 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 a there's a huge quantity of, of, of posts in all sorts of different uh, areas that seem to be connected and seem to have the same sensibility and the inability to actually quite kind of judge whether this is a really a thing whether it's just a projection of the narrator's mind is 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 a lot of a lot of the atmosphere of the book
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I want to come back to that atmosphere in a second um I
0: just share that I you know uh the the end of the book at the party where they sort of see Donald Trump get elected there was a kind of strange resonance for me because I was actually in Berlin that day and then I woke up the following morning to learn of Donald Trump's election and we went to a bar as early as was slightly earlier than is reasonable uh, (laughs) and met some friends, one of whom uh, is originally from Sudan, but is uh, an American and and um, an aid worker. And another of whom is a computer programmer who spends a lot of time in the dark um, channels of the web. And they were both, I mean, horrified, but also gleeful because they both said in their own way, at least nobody thinks I'm crazy anymore.
1: That, you know, that, I think that's it. That's the reaction I think a lot of people had. And, and which made it all more the more bizarre sort of watching media commentators who had spent the previous several years assuring us that this was just not a thing that was going to mm-hmm. happen and that we were going to have this Hillary Clinton presidency and a kind of, uh, you know, neoliberalism in the old form would just sort of trundle on and, you know, and instead, you know, all bets were off. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. I wanted to turn uh, before coming back to the
0: paranoia theme, which I want to bring up again, I wanted to bring up the the topic of gender and masculinity in this novel, Mm. because in many ways, I mean, it's a very intimate novel about a man suffering a kind of midlife crisis who, who worries that he's chosen the wrong path in life, and he can't, he can't write his book, he can't provide for his family, he can't defend them from the threats he sees in the world. We have his co, uh, you know, his colleague at the Deuter Center, Edgar, who's a kind of intellectual bully, a kind of uh, positivist terrorist uh, (laughs) who who refuses to accept anything outside of the most crass sociobiological explanations for human behavior. The whole, uh, at least the first part of the novel, perhaps all of the novel is kind of haunted by the ghost of Heinrich von Kleist, the... 19th century early 19th century prussian romantic poet who famously killed himself in a suicide pact you describe as a kind of a early incel type uh and then we have of course anton who is this kind of suave like a kind of like fit and sexy version of uh, Stephen Bannon, who kind of like is able to kind of manipulate the media. We never know if he's the mastermind behind everything, or as you point out, if if he's just trying to present that way. He's the producer of this kind of hyper violent nihilist television series called Blue Lives, which features both like kind of ultra violence of police gone wrong and gone corrupt along with these kind of strange nihilist philosophical um, rantings um, but I, I was curious about why what, what, it, what kind of attracted you to explore masculinity in this moment uh, through this kind of strange cast of characters this menagerie
1: I think I think because so much of this revolves around around a kind of I don't know I, I guess you could call it a rear guard action uh, by a proponents of a, of an, a, a, a traditionalist masculinity you know the um and the the attraction of 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 the right seems to be in large to young men in large in large part seems to be that it does it it does offer kind of frames for for masculine self-expression, uh, you know, for for people who are be who are who you know who've, who've been poorly treated in in graduate seminars on on uh, uh, on feminism or whatever, but they, this, you know, I mean, there are figures online, like, but think about Bronze Age pervert. I mean, if that's somebody that people people know about, I mean, I think in real life he's actually a wussy Romanian academic, but in on on this persona on the internet is this bodybuilding over man who you know who who for whom men are men and women are women and 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 the kind of old patriarchal values of 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 the judicious application of violence and the suppression of your emotion your your doubt among other things is very attractive i think to to a certain sort of young man, and the idea of, of of women as these uh these tricky um uh, sort of seductive but deceptive creatures who are you know who need to be handled in some way i mean all this is all this is being retailed by the men's rights people the pickup artists people i mean who for whom the idea of the red pill was the first they were the first people to pick it up from from the matrix so you know notions of masculinity are very much in play and of course you know for in in you know another part of the the world the gender is being um is being you know re-theorized and uh and, and ideas about fluidity and, and 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 people being able to to live in um in in ways outside these categories is becoming kind of an important site of political struggle so i mean masculinity as i mean I mean, I'd point, if people are very interested in this, especially with relation to the far right, I'd I'd point them towards a kind of classic work of the 1970s called Male Fantasies by Klaus Tewellite, um which which really um, trawls through uh, a lot of um, diaries and visual material uh, that, that came out, out around in Germany after the First World War and shows how certain sort of uh, ideas about masculinity and uh, and femininity as well i mean this kind of horror of femininity was very very implicated in the rise of fascism and i see a lot of that being recapitulated now and um and so i think yeah you can't you can't really kind of go into this area without in in encountering these these various of retrograde notions about about gender and Biological essentialism is back in in kind of thinking about race and gender. I mean, you know, there are lots of things that I assumed were off the table sometime after the 90s that seem to have uh, have come back to haunt us.
0: One of the things I think you capture really well in the in the novel is the way that some of these kind of far right formations now often express themselves in this in this kind of mind bending ironization mm. this kind of the irony that it that it's all a joke but it's also not a joke we're really just joking about doing these terrible things but oh wait we just did them uh and in a, a certain way it ties into something that we've been discussing quite a bit in in our institute which is um the kind of game-like quality of a lot of this the way that it it both draws on gamer communities explicitly as, mm. as you were mentioning is sort of uh, from the online subcultures that bred Gamergate and a number of these other uh, phenomena. But that also, a lot of the kind of new trends in conspiracism and far-right uh, organizing tend to organize themselves a bit like a game. And then it made me think about your, your narrator, who in some ways feels like he's in a game he can't win and can't control. And he kind of has this projection onto Anton, this kind of alt-right mastermind, if he is indeed that, as the kind of game master, the dungeon master, in whose, in whose labyrinth, I mean, I think you, you liken it to a labyrinth in the novel, too. I just wondered if you could if you could speak about that and, and trying to sort through what that kind of ironization game-like quality is of this new ideological formation.
1: Um, I mean, I wonder whether that's two separate things. I, mm-hmm. I think the, you know, I mean, I think it's very important, the joking, not joking nexus, I think is is the gate through which so much of this stuff has has uh, has made its way into the mainstream. I mean, I was you know joking just now, kind of doing doing (laughs) this, and and, you know there are there are all sorts of pictures. I mean, I was I always think of Stephen Miller's first. White House picture where he may or may not be kind of doing this with the buttons of his of his jacket. I mean, he's a, he's a creature of the chance. I mean, that guy is like everything about him is 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 clearly saturated in in this culture. And he was and he has been the man in charge of immigration policy in the US for for several years. And um, so, yeah, this question of irony and then the irony becoming totally literal has allowed has has been a way of kind of end running around a set of media conventions that uh that dominate a kind of gatekeep mainstream discourse you know you're supposed to uh, under traditional sort of journalism rules you're supposed to kind of be objective and to be kind of giving a fair shake to both sides and so kind of Uh, And it's very, very hard for for people who are working with that to even identify, let alone kind of correctly label certain sorts of trollish, joking, not joking discourse, you know, I mean, people, people putting up helicopter memes and gas oven memes and, and, and and then sort of saying, wow, you have no sense of humor, why, how can you possibly think that I would be interested in putting you in a camp? Um, And then... You know, sure enough, kind of further down the line, you know, certain certain masks fall away. But the gamification thing and and the idea of a dungeon master or or a a kind of Svengali like controller figure is, is very interesting to me. I mean, I you know, one of the sources of my own interest in narrative is the kind of teenage period, which where I was I was playing a lot of role playing games and reading a lot of um, speculative fiction of one kind or another, and the mechanics of, of a tabletop role playing game with the open endedness, the ability to kind of gamify it, but without without the kind of closed system of something like chess or go was completely brilliant to me. I mean, I was, you know, it was so exciting and I failed completely to infuse many people around me about why, you know, to get un- them to understand why I was so interested in, in this, you know, way of being able, and I, you know, my becoming a novelist was through becoming, was through that period I had where I was running games for friends and I understood things about narrative, like when I wanted to kind of slightly put my thumb on the scales for the sake of a good role, good play, rather than, you know, being a, a sort of strict rule uh, rule enforcer, um, but the figure the figure of the controller of the person who is dictating the terms of the game is very very attractive. Again, perhaps to somebody who is who is feeling uh, insecure, who is perhaps does not feel in control in other ways in their in their lives, and it's also a, it's also a figure that has a, a kind of rootedness in more traditional ideas about the bohemian artist you know if you think about like the flâneur the 19th century flâneur who is going through the crowd who's in the crowd but not of it who's an observer who's in some way set apart from the from the crowd by usually his sensibility or you know his his kind of uh, intellectual perception and and then there's the figure of the occultist which again you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh bleed between interest in esoteric uh western esotericism in particular i think and 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 the and the far right partly because there is this sort of disdaining of the mass there's the disdaining of the average there's the kind of i am the possessor of secret knowledge that you do not understand there's the uh, this idea of the you know the hand signals of the you know, masonic signs that you can give in public but only the other the other initiates will understand incredibly attractive to be to be part of a of a uh secret mm. society or a, a brotherhood i mean in the um this is the this is the u.s cover of of, of red pill and some people may recognize this this picture that's almost uh, obscure this very famous german romantic a uh, picture called the traveler above the sea of fog by uh, caspar david friedrich in the the traveler is looking down on the world and he's looking down on the kind of the, confu- the fog of the world the confusion the or the the indeterminacy but he is you know on a mountain he's you know above it literally and this was has become it's become a kind of cliche of 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 thinking about german romanticism and that is the kind of um that's a that's a part of culture that bleeds very kind of directly through some of the the histories that i've been talking about into the contemporary figure of the the you know the outright dude who thinks that he you know you're he's he's red-pilled and and Mm -hmm. you are you know you're you know you're still kind of caught in in the fog um So yeah I mean again another from from an artistic point of view in the novel another reason why Germany is a great place to 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 set this book because there Mm -hmm. is this tradition of the romantic individual and the you know that that is so so much in the DNA of the of the current kind of right-wing self-conception. And and the figure in the in the novel of Kleist the,
0: the romantic poet who you know, annihilates himself in his, yeah,
1: the suicidal, the suicidal romantic is again a kind of, you know, a figure which has a, has a, sort of, I mean, I, Kleist is fascinating. People don't know, uh, Kleist, uh, as I, as a, I, mean, as I suspect many people don't know Kleist because <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's not widely, he's big in, big in Germany, much less big out outside Germany, but. He died at 32 in a in a suicide pact with a woman uh, called uh, Henrietta Fergal. and they they went down to the shores of the lake near near uh, the lake of the Vansay, and he shot her and then himself. And he'd been trying to find someone to do a suicide pact with almost as long as he'd, he'd been an, an adult. He, he proposed joint suicide to like almost like kind of people he met in the pub, um, and he was a very he was an aristocrat. Who kind of screwed up almost every single opportunity he was given? He had various he had a career as an army officer that he couldn't he couldn't kind of keep going. And I mean, I think he possibly had PTSD because he was a teenage, a child soldier in the in 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 uh, in an infantry regiment when he was like fourteen or fifteen, and then um, you know he saw he saw bad things in 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 combat, and then was very very um edgy and unsettled and then you know quite in contrast to the you know the idea of this traveler above the sea of fog who's self-possessed and self-contained and and, and in control is the the games master is the the controller this was a guy who was buffeted around whose desperation to kind of find some sort of meaning in his life led him to write these very weird I mean there's, history, there's some short stories that I if you're interested in him, just go go find this uh, collection of st- short stories, the Marquees of O and other stories, and they're, very, they're full of action. It's like kind of wild things happen, like, kind of, oh, I'm about to be executed for a crime I didn't commit, but oh, there's an earthquake, and oh, the prison has fallen down and I'm escaping, and it's like... It, 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 it's not. It's not. It's not kind of reasonable or controlled in in any way. His stuff is very excessive and 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 kind of highly strung. Um, so he's a figure that became. I mean, he was a figure that kind of came to me because there he was. He was in the place where I was staying. He seemed somehow to kind of impose himself on my experience of that place I would you know it was the obvious place to go for a walk in the morning to kind Mm. of have a you know to to clear my head was to go to his gravesite, which was just around so I would do that and then you know hey Professor, the guy kind of takes over my novel
0: (laughs) we have some uh, questions coming in which I'm going to relate to you in a second Uh, but I wanted to tell you about a couple and ask you about a couple of things that we discussed last class when we were discussing your work in anticipation of, of you joining us And one of them is uh, we were were discussing what the significance is and why you made the choice to include this kind of story within a story about uh, Monica, who's a young punk near the end of the uh, Cold War, just before the fall of the Berlin Wall, who falls in with a group of punks in East Germany, in East Berlin, and uh, eventually gets sort of recruited by the Stasi, the secret police, to become an agent of theirs. you know, at an incredible cost to her own life. I mean, she she's, of course, extremely distraught and de- depressed at having been sort of recruited to destroy, essentially, and spy on her friend group. Um, and that, the, that character then appears to the narrator uh, because she's the um, uh, housekeeper at the Deuter Center, uh, where he's at the writing retreat and he confesses to her his paranoia that he's being st- spied on. And she sort of says, like, you think you have paranoia? <laughs> Listen to my story, um, and then wonderfully concludes after after the story by telling him that he's weak and he's going to be chewed up by the world. But um, what, what? Yeah, what motivated you to include this story within a story?
1: Here, there's, there's, there's two reasons. Yeah, it's, as you say, it's a very self-contained story, and it's like a kind of wedge into the rest of the of the the book. The rest of the book concerns this writer narrator and his his mm. various troubles and <clears throat> i mean for the first reason is is to is to do with berlin i mean berlin obviously has two not one but two experiences of totalitarianism there's you know there's the nazi period and then uh and and then the the, the east german period when during which the city was was divided and I, you know, I was thinking a lot about surveillance. I was thinking a lot about selfhood, and I was thinking a lot about um, the difference between an old school twentieth-century totalitarianism and the kind of surveillance and control that happens in uh, nominally democratic societies, even uh, in the present day and I, I initially started looking at um Stasi surveillance of intellectuals and, and you know there's a you know the people you would expect writers and poets who might be dissidents and might have some sort of cultural support and I, ca- I came across increasing you know references to how worried they'd been about punk mm-hmm. and about how hard they'd cracked down on teenage punks and it's it's uh um yeah, you know, I I became completely fascinated by the punk subculture of East Germany, which was which was a subculture that was existing without really any access to speak of to Western music or images of bands. It was like it was a very, like it was a very sort of low bandwidth channel that they had in or in to try and be punks in the first place. I mean, I I, I in the podcast, people are interested in this. Like one of the podcasts is about. I went back to Berlin and interviewed the first punk in, in East Berlin who literally did do dude who saw a picture of the Sex Pistols and, and ripped up his T-shirt, spiked his hair up with with soap and walked out of his front door in, in, a, in a suburb of East Berlin and was picked up by the secret police. And he said, you know, he had a life where as a teenager he was interrogated on a daily basis because they thought that he must be being influenced by the mm-hmm. CIA or some other nefarious Western agency that wanted to undermine the morals of the, of the East German youth. And, and in a funny way, they gave him a political education he, he said to me, well, they would keep asking me whether I was an anarchist and I knew nothing about anarchism. So I went and tried to find out. Um, and he later on, you know, he left music and became a, a dissident who was, who was involved with, the the defender the 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 kind of the turn you know the the, the mm. sort of liberation movement that would that pushed the East German government into collapse in the in the late 80s so in a funny way you know this kind of experience of interrogation and of, of of the Stasi very early on in his life they they pushed him in a way that if they just let him get on and make music uh he might not have gone but I, I sort of want, I wanted to break the circle of, of the kind of narcissism of the central character because he is very self-involved and he is a you know he is a, a you know a, a bougie writer and it would be you know it would be nice to have such troubles and some in some ways um, and to, to really kind of yeah to reset the book around the you know the, the ways that um, power does function on, on people and totalitarian power does function. Mm. I should say that the the Stasi had this technique that they called Zezetzung or, or corrosion which was a cyst, which was a a self perversion of of uh, various kinds of psychological theory where which they would learn at a Stasi University in uh, in the, the town of Potsdam just outside Berlin and you would learn how to corrode or degrade the psychological state of the people who you were targeting which they would do in very weirdly petty ways in very weirdly kind of i mean incredibly invasive ways Like they if they would there would be teams of people targeting a single dissident and you know say you're the dissident and you go out to the to the post office to 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 put to mail a, a letter um they come into your apartment they maybe they maybe don't do very much in your apartment except move some things around or just show you that they've been there or just do things at the edge of perception, you know, you leave something on the right hand side of your desk, they move it to the left hand side of your desk. So you sort of suspect that, are you, that, that thing, are you going mad or is it a real thing? Now, is the reason that when you went to the post office, they lost your package, is that just bad luck or is that somebody trying to make that happen for you? When you come outside and the tires of your bike have been slashed bad luck and they would do this this stuff and they actually they really really did destroy people i mean there's a psychologist working in berlin even today whose practice is solely with survivors of the east german uh regime who in many cases were never able to adjust to the idea that they weren't being followed and watched um Mm -hmm. even after sort of objectively you know that there was no more stasi there was no more east german state like people had been so profoundly kind of invaded by this uh, experience of constant harassment and surveillance that they never um they never really have recovered mm, 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 mm,
0: mm. in a certain way we were trying to understand how to classify this book because of course it's partly an english class uh, what genre we would place it in and There there were a number of interesting proposals for that. Uh, Some people felt that it was kind of a thriller. And certainly for the narrator, it's a thriller that he's trying to uncover this incredible crime that only he can see. And like like the detective in a thriller, he's alone against the world. Um, But a number of folks thought that perhaps also there is an element of, of tragedy in this book and that the narrator in some way is destined for the fall that he's going to take his fall into paranoia. Or maybe it's a tragedy also for the world in the sense that we should be able to tell from the very beginning of the novel that it will end in the election of Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) That's something about the kind of the setup of the whole thing and and its focus on masculinity, this sort of romantic self-maximization, the descent of the world into fragmentation and and a kind of inability to put together a kind of cognitive map of of it all leads to both the the main character's psychological breakdown but also the kind of breakdown of reality itself. Do you, do you accept either of those readings or I'm
1: going to accept both and all. Yeah. Um the I, I mean he, he definitely yeah I mean it's a tragedy in the sense that there there he has personal flaws that will leave, you know leave him open to mm. to to this experience. But I mean I am you know I have always had a a kind of fascination with um, I mean I've had thr- thrillers the idea of a thriller is really interesting to me because I mean it's, it's a thriller is a kind of mechanism almost as a, as a mechanism as a genre as a, it's all about how you create a kind of sense of tension in your in your reader and uh, um and I mean any kind of forward moving plot kind of can be assimilated into that idea. I mean, I'm quite interested in, the atmosphere of, of of genre thrillers but without being very interested in the kind of the bit where it all gets tied up in a neat bow and you kind of you know you can close the book and forget forget about it it's just it's been a kind of clockwork mechanism to produce a sense of you know i don't know is you know is is he, is he gonna cling onto the edge of the building or is he gonna get off i mean in in, in some ways that's that feels like artificial and manipulative but you know, and maybe I mean maybe the analogy with games. I mean, maybe if a thriller is a closed system with a set of a set of determinate rules, and and a more to me more interesting kind of fiction has an open system, but can still use these tools and techniques of you know. I mean, a lot of my books end up with kind of have journeys and road trips and maybe even chases in them. Um, Love my books have doubles in them. They're often kind of characters who are, you know, refractions or reflections of each other and these are genre elements. But ultimately I'm you know, I'm I'm the guy who kind of gets bored in the last reel of the movie because I don't care about the the the, 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 the moral accounting that happens at the end. You know, I've been I've been in it for the weird second act where, you know, you're not really sure whether whether it's real or not. I mean, and and this is a book about ambiguity and this is a book about that yourself, you know, is something psychological or is it, you know, existing in the wider, in the wider world? So Andrew uh, poses a question
0: about the the narrator and the narrator's kind of descent into this kind of politicized paranoia and wonders in some way uh, if that escalates in part because of the character's tendency towards self-isolation. I mean, when he goes to the Deuter Center, which has these strange Baroque rules about how everyone's supposed to interact with each other, uh, he refuses to do so. He refuses to talk to his wife. He sort of descends inward. Um, and it's something we've been talking about throughout the Institute and the class of which it's based, that somehow this kind of con- paranoid conspiracism of our age is bred in a highly alienated society.
1: Yes yeah and 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 i think that kind of that kind of withdrawal from community and the withdrawal from relationships is the hallmark of a certain sort of quite problematic kind of masculinity mm-hmm. as as well you know the the guy who won't go to the doctor the guy who the guy who won't ask directions mm-hmm. um you know these these sort of this sort of need to be to to feel autonomous to feel like yeah, you know, the idea that freedom is in some way a lack of mutual obligation to other people, uh, all these ideas are political ideas that are also mm-hmm. bound up with a certain sort of psychology. And I, I mean, I did a, I did a, an interview about the book with Jacobin, the left-wing publication, and we talked a lot in that about the thing that never occurs to this character is is that solidarity with others could could be a, a, a route out of of his sense of crisis that he could check in with other people and and maybe there could be action that you could take in conjunction with other people that would you know he never you know the it's it's all it's all kind of you know he his this is a drama that takes place out you know on on the terrain of his selfhood Uh, And I think that's, you know, that's a a critique that the book has of a certain sort of liberal mindset, which does overvalue the individual and systematically undervalue uh, solidarity with others. Kira Milburn, who's with us in the room, and I'm going to
0: pass on Kira's question in a second, just wrote a very good piece for Novara on freedom and the the etiolated notion of freedom being promoted, for instance, by the UK government right now for their Freedom Day, where everyone gets I to take know. off their masks. <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. Well, uh, Kier really called it uh, ahead of time and also just pointed out that this notion of a kind of individuated freedom is really a freedom, freedom towards loneliness that mm. that seems to lead to the kinds of paranoia and conspiracism that are depicted in the book. Kier's question to you, though, uh, from our chat is, He wonders whether um, sort of to counter the idea that uh, conspiracism is totally based on irony. One of the things that he's been talking to us a lot about is the cosmic right and the turn to wellness, spirituality, yoga communities uh, that have increasingly embraced racist and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, including sort of like the QAnon thing. But these these folks tend to be completely sincere. Uh, You know, they're, they're really deep. It's not like, oh, I'm doing yoga ironically they're really into it. What do you, what do you make of that? Does that, is that part of the same, is that feeding from the same trough or is that something
1: different? I mean, again, I think, I think there's a recapitulation of, of tendencies in early 20th century Mm. Europe. I mean, if you look at, uh, um, I mean, even slightly further back, kind of late nineteenth century onwards, the Volkish movement in in Germany, which believed in a kind of sort of cosmic return to mm-hmm. organic living, which was interested in all sorts of things that are, you know, at the root of of today's kind of alternative spirituality culture. It became a conduit for fascism. It's a very different kind of style of of, of thinking and being to to. The sort of uniformed militarized uh masculinist Fricor kind of fascism mm-hmm. but but there is a the, yeah cosmo- a lack of irony can be can, can kind of can take you to that place too i mean the the phrase i heard for, for it which i really like is conspirituality and 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 i and, and i and I, I mean it's been around for a long time and i mean I've, I've served my time in various kind of hippie beach places and 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 um have always been struck by, um, you know, there's a, a the receptivity to certain sorts of, of of conspiracy thinking in in that culture. You know, if you see yourself as part of an alternative culture and that the mainstream is trying to cheat you or, or, or misinform you in some way then you know your enemy's enemy is your friend and certainly what's happening these days is that a lot of these people who who would never dream of themselves as proto fascists are, are are kind of uh, are becoming conduits for this stuff i mean I, anecdotally i have a couple of a uh, uh, married couple uh white friends who live in india he's a he's a sanskrit professor and she works on a, a, a vaccination program vaccinating people in rural villages and um funded by the bill gates foundation so that you know you can see a picture is, is emerging there but they they wrote out the pandemic in goa and so mm. a lot of their social life was with with kind of uh people from this this culture and they you know they're people who come out kind of come out of that culture too i mean they're a pair of old hippies really um but they found it was impossible Mm -hmm. to be around a lot of people because there's been a real shift in that in that culture from just a sort of general chat about vibrations and and massage to to a much more kind of hard-edged assertion especially anti-vax things but also a kind of global conspiracy thinking that is uh, very open to anti-semitic thinking and 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 you know all, all the the usual soup of of stuff that goes into queue what like i know
0: this is going to sound like a huge question but like why the novel now uh if we've you know we've we've discussed the kind of fragmentation of reality the fragmentation of sociality into multiple different competing narratives um also the way that often the kind of narratives that people are spinning are are chaotic in some ways you know like some of this con- conspirituality stuff is a kind of like like a kind of a medley or a kind of uh all night dj mix of everything in the crate
1: yeah, i mean it's everything from atlantis to ufos to you know yeah I mean to you know chemtrails I mean it's all it's all it's all connected is the, is the is the is the is the the alpha and omega of this thing I mean there's a kind of um uh the idea is I mean you know when when do you when do you refuse a connection when do you mm-hmm. kind of you know what when it is when how do you make kind of uh, judgments of value in a in a in a world which you believe it's all connected? But you know, defence of the novel. I feel I might have given the same defence of novel to you once before. But it is, but it never gets old. <laughs> but my defence of the novel is is to do with to do with its variousness. I mean, it's it's mm. a, it's a funny, baggy, weird creature. The novel, but it it's a very it's a very flexible kind of way of 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 thinking and and, and understanding because it allows you to break a lot of rules and to kind of go from, you know, you can write essayistic disquisitions on 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 something and then you can go to the interiority of a character then you can kind of iris out and do a big system mm. sort of social system portrait of a situation that that character is in. And I think that flexibility and that that ability to do different you know layers really like different kind of levels of resolution mm. as a is it makes it quite useful for understanding a, a deeply complex fractured world that we live in I mean, it's so you know the criticism of the novel is that it is ultimately a bourgeois form because it because it it runs everything through character and psychology and and I think that's that's so sort of in, in it I mean that is the uh you know you can't you can't get beyond that and so there is a sort of there is a sort of legitimate Critique that says that well, if you're funneling everything, if you need to funnel everything through the individual, you know, maybe that's distorting. You know, I can't, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know whether anyone successfully managed to write a novel without characters. It'd be kind of an interesting thought experiment Mm -hmm. to, to to do that. But, but I also think that there's a kind of because our idea about what, what, what it is to be a person, what it is Mm -hmm. to be a self, let alone what it is to be a character in a novel. Incorporates new developments in our thinking of all kinds, then and then actually, you know, it is a, it is a, a a flexible kind of form from that point of view.
0: I was thinking, and I was reflecting back on the interview that we did now almost a decade ago, where I think I asked you the same question about or uh, a very similar question. And I was thinking, then I think we were talking about finance, too, and the way that finance capital fragments and compartmentalizes the world and turns it into these kind of derivative products. And I was thinking in preparation for for this question about Frederick Jameson's argument that ultimately the novel and the conspiracy theory have in common this, this desire to provide us a cognitive map, a kind of... A way of thinking about the world that makes sense—that where all the pieces kind of fit together.
1: Yeah, I mean we should—I mean we should we should shouldn't let this part of the conversation slide without mentioning the book that really incorporates both these the ideas in the perfect way, which is Don DeLillo's *Libra*, which mm. is about a plot in the sense of a plot—a conspiracy to kill the president, John F. Kennedy. And and the idea of plot, which is an art, you know, a novelist's plot, which is an artificial simplification of the kind that we were talking about right at the beginning of the conversation, with, with mm. reference to, to Q. You know, plot is of course always, always about about making this kind of storm of signals into something kind of understandable and 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 dealable with and aesthetically pleasing, mm. and in the same way, there's a kind of conspiracy real ones and and imagined ones are have that same kind of formal simplification to them and if people don't know that book run run don't walk it's a wonderful wonderful book that's a sort of musing about about the ways that uh, uh making fiction kind of can bleed over into political reality